I want to invite you, if I can, to turn with me or to open up your apps to the book of Philippians. See, I'm woke. <laughs> I'm with it. I'm just playing with y'all. Ephraim is like, no, never. Just stick to the word, stick to the word. <laughs> book of Philippians. So we're going to start a new, uh, I got thick skin, so don't worry. Um, we're going to start a new series, all right? And we're going to be going through uh, this. We've had a chance to be around uh, the book of Philippians at different times, but I'm excited to say that we're going to have a chance to walk together throughout the entirety of this uh, letter of Paul's written to the church in Philippi. And you're going to be surprised of its relevance and its significance, uh, not just in their life, but also in, in our lives. And so what I would love to do um, at the outset as you're turning there um, is to just encourage you to take your time throughout the week between Sundays to read the book of Philippians on your own, not just once, but again and again and again. Just get it into your system so that when you show up on Sunday, it's like it's in you. And so when I preach and when we teach and when we interact and talk about what we're getting out of it, and when we have conversations outside of Sundays, it's going to make this book and your time in it all the more meaningful. Amen? It's only four chapters, 104 verses. In most physical, real Bibles, <clears throat> in most real Bibles, it comprises about two and a half uh, pages, all right? Um, so it's not a big book. It's not a lengthy book. And for those of you who've been talking to me about, man, how do you get into the Bible? Like, how do you develop a consistent reading habit? Man, I suck. I'm trying to do better. I'm trying to do right. How do you do it? Where do you start? Hey, this is an opportunity. One of the ways in which I learned how to get the Bible regularly, a part of my life, was by being a part of a church where they actually preached out of the Bible, where the book was open, and the things that the person had to say came from the Bible, right? What that does is it... Mo and, the, and what they did with the Bible modeled for me what I need to be doing with it when I'm by myself with it. Because I'm watching him week in and week out, and I'm seeing how he's interacting with the text, how he's wrestling over the thoughts, how he's pointing out this and that that I didn't necessarily see myself, and how he's applying it to my life. I'm like, okay, so that's what I should be doing on my own when I'm with the Word. And so it was very helpful for me. Amen? And so I want you guys... Um, in the Word, and I want you to be able to take advantage of that. Amen? Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Paul and Timothy, servants, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the elders or overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is um, an interesting book of Philippians. In order to really appreciate this particular epistle, what I need us uh, to do is to turn, uh, for today is going to be backstory to the book of Acts. So we're going to go to the book of Acts together. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, what, you, what we have there, Acts chapter 16, um, I'll begin in verse 6, but this is what I want to point out. What we have in Acts chapter 16 is the foundation of this church plant. Paul was a church planner. 
kind of like me. He was among church planners, kind of like y'all, right? Every church planner needs a team, right? We're a team. This is our core group. If you make Pathway Home, you're a part of this church plant, and we all have one role to play or another, and we don't get anywhere until and unless we all identify just what my part is in this thing. Like, what is my role exactly here other than attending, right? And, and to the degree that we can get there and arrive, not as an individual, but as a church, we're getting somewhere as pathway. And so in order to appreciate this church in Philippi, we need to understand what communicates about its origin, all right? And so Paul here in, um, in Acts is on his way doing what he normally does, ministering. He's serving the Lord. And he, as best as he knows how, and he's bringing the gospel to different places. And so as, Paul, as far as Paul is concerned, he thinks this is what he needs to be doing with his life. He's got a plan of God, and he's going about it. But then, interestingly, in Acts 16 and verse 6, something happens. There's a shift that takes place. Some of you guys are aware of this. Verse 6, it says there, and they, who's they? See, I'm modeling for you right now. This is what you should be doing on your own. They. Luke, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. So there's a team, right? Every leader should operate in a team. There's a team. So even though Paul is the one who's the face of this thing and he's, he's a lead guy, he's the point person, he has a team, right? And his team is comprised of Timothy, Silas, and Luke. Luke is the one who's writing, writing this book and he's also narrating it. He's a doctor and he accompanied Paul on his missionary journeys. How many missionary journeys did Paul have? Anybody? Three. That's right. This is Paul's second missionary journey of the three that we know of. He may have four. He may have more, but they're not recorded for us. We only have three recorded accounts of Paul's missionary journey as they are recorded in the book of Acts. Okay? And of those three, this happens to be the second one. And on his second missionary journey, who we have accompanying the apostle Paul is Timothy, his protege, his apprentice. Silas and Luke, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Now, that's going to be important in a second here. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word where? In Asia. And when they, verse 7, had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus, interesting, did not allow them to go. Got that? Verse 8, so, passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas, and a vision huh, appeared to Paul. In the night, a man of Macedonia was standing there and urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia. Macedonia is important. Philippi is inside Macedonia, just so you know. That's how this is related to the book of Philippians. It's a, it's a key capital city within the larger area of Macedonia. Come over to Macedonia and come help us. Verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately, the Bible says, we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. To them. And so what do we have here what we have here are the basic ingredients that should exist in a church plant if a church plant is going to want to plant successfully. 
For us to be a healthy, biblical, gospel-centered, Christ-exalting, God-glorifying, Bible-based, spirit-led church, we've got to have what we see here a part of us. You see, even though the church isn't born yet, so they haven't planted the church yet. After all, all he's receiving is a vision. He hasn't even met this guy yet. He hasn't even had a chance to visit Macedonia yet. That's an unreached turf, unreached people groups. This is Paul. This is the kind of guy he is. I like this kind of guy. I like to hang around these kind of guys who like to be in the front, who like to take the bullets, who like to be where all the action is, who aren't content content just playing church and staying in a holy huddle, but want to actually get into spaces and areas of the city and of the world where people still need to meet Jesus. That's Paul. That's the kind of guy he is. And he happened to be, thankfully, with guys who also were like that. And that's Europe. Europe would have never had the gospel were Paul not obedient enough to go there. The first church that found itself planted in Europe is this church in Philippi. And it's because of Paul's obedience. But notice, Paul is busy going about doing his thing. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit stops him in his tracks. And he says, whoa, 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 nope. And the Holy Spirit forbid him. It says the Spirit of Jesus would not allow him. What's the point? Here's a big idea. Sometimes God's plan is found by us through the doors that are stopped, the doors that he will not allow to be opened. A lot of times that's what happens. Sometimes we spend so much energy, we spend so much of our time and our emotions complaining or fighting or pleading as to why this door that we think needs to be open in our life, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a ministry opportunity, Maybe it's, it's some, some thing that we thought if it opened up for us, it would give us an opportunity to be able to serve God more. Maybe it's a state that we thought we were supposed to be moving to. Maybe it's a school that we thought God said we we're supposed to be transferring to. Maybe we did, and then all of a sudden we're returning back and re- realizing what we learned there, we discovered clearly that wasn't God's will for And sometimes, but initially we think, what's going on, God? But notice, God is working in Paul's life. By the Holy Spirit stopping him and preventing him from going in the direction that he thought he needed to be going, it wasn't an indication that God wasn't at work in his life. In fact, it was the exact opposite. So what do we see characterized in the heart of Paul? We see a man who had a surrendered heart to the Holy Spirit. Not only did it take the Spirit to alert Paul, "Uh uh-uh, not that way. I got other plans for you. It took a person... You see, God's divine sovereignty and human responsibility. There's something on God's part and there's something on on our part. It took a man, it took Paul to be sensitive enough to what the Spirit was saying at the moment to be able to shift and change directions in the heat of the moment. That's a church. That's what God wants to produce. You see, Paul was a man who's modeling for us a submission to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's very easy to be caught up with our own plans, isn't it? Man, I spent so much time working on these plans. I got my own agenda. I want to do this for God, right? I'm doing this and nobody's stopping me for God. But God is like, where am I? (laughs) Who put my signature on there? I did. It's like, uh, that didn't pass through my desk. And even if he does lead us, guess what? Because he's the sovereign spirit, he has every ability to redirect us. 
You see, that's the life that God wants to cultivate in you and me. It's, God doesn't want ju- us to just see that in Paul. He wants us to start there, but he wants us to ask the additional question, do I, do I have a heart and a life that is surrendered to the Holy Spirit? So much so that if he were to call me out and redirect my life, that I'm not holding on to the things in my life so tightly that I wouldn't be able to hear him. That's important. You see, some people try to distinguish between depending on the Holy Spirit and making plans. How come we can't keep them together? Why, why either or? Why not both and? The Holy Spirit could be in our plans, and the Holy Spirit should also be in spontaneity. And I think the Bible talks a lot about making plans. He says, look at the ant, you sluggard. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 6 I hope you're familiar with that. I'm not making that up. He says, look at the ant, you lazy person, and look how they they plan and they they prepare themselves for the coming season. They're stacking up. That's an ant. And he's saying, learn a thing or two from the ants. And God is the one telling us, so there's nothing wrong with planning. But even when you make your plans, there's nothing wrong with saying, I want to go to that school. I want to transfer to this college. I want to be married by this date. I want to have a child by this time and no sooner or no later. I want to be starting to get involved in church after I do this. I want to buy a house by this time. There's nothing wrong with making plans. But here's the thing. Are you making plans independent of the Holy Spirit? That's the question. Are are you so preoccupied with your plans that the Holy Spirit can't get in? Because at the end of the day, the only reason by, why you should want any of those examples that I brought up or any others we could meet is because it's going to allow you the ability to glorify God more and advance his kingdom more. And any other agenda is contrary to what God wants for our lives. And here, what do we see? A heart and a life submitted to the Holy Spirit. Why is this important? Because if this is true of both Paul and his team, guess what? If they ever plant a church and have people join them, guess what they're going to multiply and reproduce? Nothing other than themselves. Which means the exact opposite is scary too, right? Imagine if there were people who were kicking against the pricks. Imagine if there were the kind of guys who were constantly stiff-arming the Holy Spirit, unyielding to the Holy Spirit, not wanting to hear it, and not wanting to allow the Holy Spirit in, and they reproduce themselves. You don't want that kind of church. And so what God is trying to say is, as we're moving forward, we want to be learning how to cultivate a life that is dependent upon the Holy Spirit. It was Paul's dependence upon the Holy Spirit that allowed him to be able to discern his voice when he showed up in his life. And he says, not that way. I want you to go this way. But there's a vision, the Bible says. And so this vision comes and he finally finds out why it is that the Holy Spirit discouraged him from going in the direction he thought was God's will. Here's another thing. Some people are afraid to discern the will of the Lord because they're afraid they're going to get it wrong. And they're like, unless, it's like, ah, ah. And they play with their relationship with God like a game of craps or 7-Eleven, right? Remember that. And that's how, they, that's how they discern the will of the Lord. And they think, but notice here, God wasn't faulting Paul 
Paul, as far as he was concerned, up until the Holy Spirit showed up and said, uh-uh, as far as he was concerned, to the best of his ability, what was he doing? Doing God's will. The point was, the deciding factor was what happened when the Holy Spirit stepped in to let him know, to confirm whether that was still God's will or not. And at that moment, when the Holy Spirit says, I appreciate you, and I see your heart, and I noticed up till now, as best as you've been capable, you have been yielding to me and been sensitive to me. But at this point, I want you to go in this direction. Guess what? He had the kind of heart that allowed God to redirect him. But some of us, as soon as we fix on to what we think is the will of the Lord, it's like we're holding on to that thing. And even if God himself, the one we're claiming, gave it to us, that, that will, even if God himself comes back and wants to say something a little different that may redirect it, it's like, uh-uh. And I think what we need to learn is part of the way in which we learn how to cultivate not only a dependence upon the Holy Spirit, but an ability to know whether I'm doing the will of the Lord is by being open, not just when he first gives me an assignment, but anytime he gives me an assignment, and even if it directs me in a whole other direction. Amen? This vision is important because it's a man that is a representative of who Paul is going to find as his mission field. The Bible says it's this man in Macedonia. We don't know him. Paul ain't never met him. But apparently there's a big need. He says, come. It says, urgently, come and help us. And the only way that Paul knew, it seemed to us, it says, that God was calling us to go there to preach the gospel to them. The only way that Paul knew was able to know that that was God's assignment for him was because of Paul's submission to the Holy Spirit in the first place. So what do we see here at this point? Not only do we see, number one, a submission to the Spirit, which is critical in any church. Number two, we see in Paul and in his team, and therefore it should be true of the entire church, an evangelistic passion, an evangelistic zeal, fervor. A church that loses its passion to get the gospel out is a church that's on its way to dying. We need to be about the gospel, friends. Church, we need to be about getting the gospel, not just to people who have had it, but even people who need to have it. And what does Paul see here? He sees an opportunity, a chance, a shot to be able to get the gospel to this particular person with need, a person with need. Maybe a vision hasn't come to you, but I'm sure if you and I took the time to be sensitive enough to the Lord and what he wants to do with our life, I'm, I'm telling you what's going to happen. All of a sudden, one person after another who's already been in your life is going to start coming up to you. This has happened to me many times where there have been people remotely connected, loosely in my life, but I haven't had any sort of gospel relationships with them. I haven't had any sort of intentional relationships. with. I never took it to that next level. I just knew they were there and they existed. But as soon as I started wanting to get my life aligned with the Lord and with the Holy Spirit, all of a the sudden, they start coming up in my mind. Like, there'll be people I haven't even seen in a while in my dreams. I'm like, what was he doing? <laughs> what is God trying to tell me? I'll be driving, I'll be going about my way and my day, and all of a sudden there'll be different people 
whether they're distant family or friends or colleagues, you name it, who all of a sudden be coming up. And sometimes we blow that off, don't we? Like, that's just me. That's what I ate. Uh, Don't rule it out. Don't rule out the fact that God is at work. You see, we miss something here that we see here. A vision came to Paul, and Paul called it what it was, a vision. Don't take for granted and think that God couldn't come to you in a dream, that God couldn't come to you during your devo time, that God couldn't couldn't come up and show up in ways where I know you're reading that chapter right now, I know you're having your devo time right now, but I wanted to drop this person on your lap right now. And see, that may redirect your devo time, that may mess up your plans for the day, but look, that's my preoccupation. And if you're my disciple, whatever it is I'm preoccupied with, you should be preoccupied with. You with me? In other words, that's a disciple of Jesus. It's like, God, make my aims your aims. Make your agenda my agenda. Make what's on your daily planner, put it on my daily planner. That's the kind of, that's the life that God wants us to live. When we know that what we're doing is what God's doing on the earth. I couldn't, I'm jealous of the Apostle Paul and his team. It's like, here they are living and they're, they're alive. And their life is so free and malleable to be able to be used as God wishes. And here a need pops up and they're like, it's of God. A vision came to me and I realized that's why the Holy Spirit stopped me. You know what? There are many people who we're not getting to because I think we have not surrendered our lives and our hearts to the Holy Spirit in this way. They're saying, come help somebody. But guess what? We're not surrendered enough to the Holy Spirit to even know that that person exists, and that's the cry of their heart. But as soon as we do, guess what? They're going to come up. You don't even need to know them. There have been people I didn't even know the day I met them. I woke up that day never having met them. By the time I ended the day, I spent the rest of the half of of that day with somebody I met. But I wouldn't have encountered them had the first part of my day gone any other way than the way it did, you see. So let's be that kind of a people. We see three ways in which this evangelistic passion shows up. Acts chapter 16, verse 11. What do we see right there? What's her name? Lydia. Paul has three encounters as soon as he arrives in this city. Three encounters. This is going to be important. We're not going to be able to read all of it in detail. And so for our interest today, what I want to do is just highlight it, okay? In Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 15, you have one encounter that the Apostle Paul has with a woman named Lydia, okay? That's one. Same place. In Acts chapter 16, verse 16 through 24, we have a second encounter that the Apostle Paul has with a slave girl who's demon-possessed. Okay? That's another one. Third, Acts 16, verse 25 through 40, we have a third encounter by the Apostle Paul, except it's not Lydia, and it's not this slave girl. It's this man who's a Philippian jailer. And in each one of these encounters, they're gospel encounters. Why are they important? Because this is going to be the group that is going to make up the eventual church that Paul is about to plant. And it's what we know about each of these three groups 
these three individuals and what they represent the church should be that is helpful for us as a church. And so here Paul is, obedient to the Holy Spirit. He said, go there. He went there. He arrives. And what does he show? He, where does he show up? He shows up by this riverbed where he encounters a woman by the name of Lydia, along with other women who are with her, and it's kind of like a prayer meeting. They're God-fearers. They're not Christian. The Bible says they're God-fearers, which means they're religious. In other words, maybe they grew up going to synagogue or church. You know how that is. You can grow up in the church. Moms and pops could be faithful. Grandma could be a prayer warrior. Uncle could be in choir, right? But it says nothing about you. Right? In other words, you could have been in children's Sunday school. You could have been in youth group. You could have been at every VBS, never missed it. You could own a Bible. You could be in church, and maybe you're a God-fearer in the sense that you respect your parents' God. But as far as you're concerned, you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. That's Lydia at this point. And Paul encounters her. And so she's open. She's not like this staunch atheist that's turned off by Jesus and the gospel. She's actually willing to have a conversation around spiritual things. And so Paul takes advantage of this opportunity. But what's interesting is this woman, she's a woman of means. She's a woman of means, which means she got money. (laughs) She's got money. She's a businesswoman. The Bible tells us that she's a seller of purple. And from what we understand in that time, culturally and historically, A person, a woman who was a seller of purple was someone who made a lot of money. Trust me, they were good. They had no problems. Not only was she a woman of means, she had her own spot. She had her own home. She had resources. She was that kind of a person. And so she was someone that could interact with you on an intellectual level. She was someone who was well-educated. She was someone who was fine. And therefore, Paul knew that when he interacted with her, he would have to meet her on that level. It's like meeting somebody with a couple of degrees in front of their name. You know that the conversation is going to be around there. So that's Lydia, all right? Set her aside for one second. Now we move along and we come across this slave girl. This slave girl, completely opposite. Couldn't be more opposite. Demonically possessed. A young girl who hasn't even had a chance to see her older adult years. All her life she's been taken advantage of, ostracized. A woman of a young girl of ill repute. Nobody wants anything to do with her. Even the men who are in her life are in her life for gain. For gain. They're making a killing off of her. The reason why they value her is because she is exercising in divination. So now we got sorcery, we got witchcraft, we got all sorts of dark evil practices going on, and they're making money off of her ability to tap into spirits, and they're profiting. And Paul shows up, and here he sees. It's like a woman that you meet who comes into the church, or you encounter her in the city in between Sundays, and you find out she's sexually abused. Maybe she was caught up in the whole sex trafficking world. Or perhaps she was physically abused, or maybe she's in and out of relationships, and every single one of them have been awful. Maybe there are parents that have never been around, a dad that's been out of the picture. And the whole world and every man has been seeking to take one advantage after another with her. And here she is, oppressed, know nothing but oppression all her teenage life. And Paul shows up with hope. And he delivers her, not only from that demonic spirit, 
He frees her to be able to see Jesus as a perfect Savior. She finally discovers who she is. She's realizing that she has another identity, that she could live for a change, that what has defined her life in her past no longer has to. But notice, she's caught up, and Paul has to meet her where she's at. She's not that intellectual. She's not the person who had the chance to go off to college and get one degree after another. She's not a woman of means. She's a different kind of a person. Third movement, we see this man, this Philippian jailer. Paul shows up, blue-collar worker. He's a correctional officer at the local prison. He's like your police officer. He's like your fireman, serving the community. And here he is, practical dude, right? <laughs> Fridays, I get a chance to work with uh, uh, police officers and, and teach and uh, be having a chance soon to perhaps do, do chapel for a DPD and um, getting connections through um, some of our our brothers, and it's different when I'm with them doing Bible studies with those men. That's a very practical situation, right? And they want to identify and relate to God and to the Scriptures for certain reasons, and it has everything to do with their, what their life is like. During the week, there may be somebody who comes because they just got out of prison, or maybe they're struggling with an addiction. Maybe they've been putting stuff into their body, or maybe somebody just had an abortion, or somebody was struggling with sexual abuse, or or maybe there's somebody who was down and out, and now they're trying to get out of homelessness and transition. I'm going to have a different kind of a one-on-one -on -one time with that kind of a person than I would here. There are other days where, you know, DBU or DBA or UNT or UTA or some other places or Criswell may invite me. And I'll have time with faculty or I'll have time in chapel with different groups. And that's a different kind of situation where now you got students who know a little Greek or Hebrew, or maybe they've had a little systematic theology or Bible survey. That's a different space in a different setting. But notice, everybody needs the gospel. Everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs to grow in their relationship with God. But you notice, you got different types of people groups. And notice, Paul was the kind of person who was versatile, where he could be with somebody who was downcast, down and out, all they've known was the slums. All they've known was the hard parts of the hood. All they've known was oppression. All they've known was life on the streets. And then he could be with a woman like Lydia, who is just making it. Got more money than she knows what to do with. And she's probably had more education than your average person, and yet he could relate the gospel to her. And he can also connect with blue-collar people, your average Joes, people who just work in a job, want to bring home good means to support the family and and just do right, but they need God. Why is this important? Because a biblical church should be a church that comprised of all kinds of people. That's my point. Lydia was Asian. The slave girl was Roman. This Philippian jailer was Greek with a potential African background. And so what do we see here going on? We see multi-ethnicity. We see people across various socioeconomic classes. Church shouldn't be all full of poor people. It shouldn't be all full of rich people. It shouldn't be full of all white people, all black people. It shouldn't be full of all people who got the worst testimony or all people who've been saved since they've been born. No, it should be a mix. And when God is working, why? Because God is for all people. God wants his gospel to reach all kinds of people. And therefore, if that's where God's heart is, 
then the church should comprise people from all kinds of backgrounds. We should have people just coming out of the slums and the ground, just trying to make it for a change, where it's going to be a while before they establish themselves, and we should have people in our communities who are doing just fine, who can help. We should have people who have testimonies that just make your hand, grab your hair, like, oh my goodness, that was your life before Jesus? And we should have people where it almost looks like they've been saved since they came out the womb, right? And they just grew up in the church and everything in between. You see, that's the real kind of church where we're not trying to socially engineer who's going to be in here. We're not the hip church. We're not the church with jeans. We're not the church with pleated khakis. We're not the church with this kind of hair. We're not the church with tattoos. We're not the church with that. We, sh- we shouldn't be known for these. We should be known for Jesus. We should be known for what the gospel has accomplished in our lives, which means there may be people who come in here with suits. There may be people who don't even have one suit to their name. There may be people who come in here in their Sunday's best, and there may be some who relate to God by wearing what they wear during the week, and for them, that's what helps them connect. There may be people who like the latest Bethel worship or, or Hillsong, and there may be people who like some contemporary hymns. And a lot of times we, we, we so tri- tribalize our sectors that we never get a chance to appreciate what God is trying to do in bringing people from all sorts of different backgrounds. And I think that's what speaks volumes to the world when they see a church where it's like, because sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll be a guest speaker sometimes place to place, and sometimes I'll even observe in our own churches, and I'll be looking, I'm like, you know what? I got this strange feeling that y'all would be fine even if y'all weren't Christian. I just got that strange suspicion. And what the world needs to know is, and what I would want to know is, when I'm around people, what explains how I could be in a relationship with this kind of person is the gospel. Because the world is just going to see, it's like, there, there ain't nothing supernatural about this. You guys would be around each other even if Jesus wasn't in the picture. And that shouldn't be. When Jesus says, by this shall men know that you're my disciples, by your love for one another, remember, he says, when, when he talked about love as God loves in Matthew 5, he says, even the Gentiles do that. But be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. In other words, when God begins to do a work in our lives and among our church and our community, what ends up happening is you're going to find yourself building relationships and entering into community and worshiping together with people when you look at them and you're like, yo, I don't think, I strongly suspect I would not be with these kinds of people unless the Spirit of God did something in me. All these people, prior to Paul coming into the picture, were in their own spaces. Lydia never encountered the slave girl. The Philippian jailer never encountered Lydia. The slave girl never encountered the Philippian jailer. And those are just three examples. We could come up with all sorts of other examples of people who represent different kinds of backgrounds. But notice, after Paul got done coming through that city with what? The gospel. What ended up happening? He tore down walls that had existed, and he saw them become one. Not only were they reconciled with God, but because they were reconciled vertically with God, they were reconciled horizontally with one another. That's what the gospel does. 
We don't manufacture this through legislation. It's the Spirit of God. It's the gospel. The blood of Jesus is what reconciles us. So it's not the color of our skin. It's not the kind of similar story. It's not our same likes of music or worship or word or church or whatever that bonds us. It's this common faith. It's what God has done for us in Christ. That's what's supposed to bring us together. We can't build this church on ethnicity. We can't build this church on our minority status. We build this church on the foundation of the gospel. And that's what we see here with this particular movement of God. And I'm so thankful that Paul said yes to the spirit of Jesus when he said, not that way, I want you to go this way. You'll you'll find out why. And he did. And he saw God do something in a marvelous way, in a glorious way. And I want to see God do that same thing. We may start out the way that we are, but if our hearts are right and tuned to the Holy Spirit, and our desire and our aim is to want God's desire and God's aim, sooner or later, God's going to do a work. Why? Because that's what we're open to now. That's who we want. Those are the kinds of people we want to be able to reach. Look at Paul's versatility. He was able to be with all kinds of people. Let me ask us, as we're coming closer and closer to the end, let me ask us, Maybe there's a a riverbed where there's some women who are gathered around that you need to be approaching. Maybe there's a Philippian jailer. Maybe there's a slave girl. Maybe there's a Lydia. What do I mean? Some of us need to be realizing that the Spirit of God has been trying to alert us to a vision, that there, there is someone who is saying, come help us. Maybe it's a Bible study you need to start on your campus. Maybe it's a new life group you need to start in your apartment. Uh, maybe it's VBS you need to be a part of. Uh, Perhaps a a school you need to adopt and you need to show up to and pour into those kids in your area or this church's area. Perhaps there's somebody who's struggling and down and out and in an oppressive situation where at this stage in their life, they're not going to be able to do it all on their own. They're going to need some assistance, at least initially, and you're the man, you're the woman, you're that person that the Spirit of God has prompted And if you hear right, what that voice is saying is, come, like the Macedonian man, and help me, help us. Maybe there's a widow or an orphan. Maybe there's someone without father. Perhaps there's new couples with children that we need to assist. Maybe you know single mothers in our community, in our churches, who need help with their teenage kids or uh, through mentorship or tutoring or just someone to come alongside them. Perhaps you're not as as involved as you can be on your campus by offering that school or that ministry what gifts God has given you, what abilities God has given you. Maybe there's something else you could do with your weekend than whatever else you've been doing with it. If your eyes are open and your heart is surrendered to the Spirit of God, look, Paul didn't have to manufacture a vision. right? He didn't say, okay, today I'm going to get a vision and I'm going to have that vision say this. No, What did Paul have to do? He just had to have a life that was surrendered to the Holy Spirit. He just needed to have a heart that was aligned with the heart of God. And God did the rest. That's all I'm asking for. That's all God is asking for this church. Is for you to have a heart that wants God's heart. And God's heart is a missionary heart. God's on mission. The question is, are his people on mission? You see, because God was on mission, Paul was on mission. Paul couldn't stay where he was. 
He wanted to get the gospel out. He wanted to advance the kingdom. He wanted to see the gospel planted in one heart after another, and therefore one church planted after another. Why? Because that's where God's heart is. Until and unless my heart and your heart is aligned with God's heart, we're not going to see God move in our life in this way when that's exactly what he wants to do in our lives. But notice, Paul's ministry to each of these groups wasn't the same kind of ministry. He probably was reasoning and arguing and interacting on an intellectual level with apologetics with the Lydia woman because that's probably what she needed. That's probably where he could only meet her. But with the slave girl, that wasn't his approach. He, didn't even, he probably didn't even have a Bible study. He met her on a practical level. Some people, before they're ever going to hear anything we got to say, they want to see if we're going to even assist them with their actual need. How about the Philippian jailer? He wasn't going to take any of that apologetics or intellectual engagement. He was a blue-collar worker. Just just apply the text, Paul. (laughs) What does it practically mean for my life? That's what he wanted. What's the point? Some of you guys have ruled yourselves out because you think you got to give some essay. You got to give some lengthy sermon. You've got to give some robust Bible. That's not me though, pastor. Okay, but what can you do? How can you serve? You see, maybe what you could offer another person is a practical help. Maybe if you were in tune to their need, you realize that's not even what they want anyways. All they want is somebody's presence. All they want is a ride to the grocery store because their car is out. All they need is some help getting into school and registering or, or maybe some money or some assistance. But we'll never know unless we're close enough to the people who are saying like this Macedonian man, come, help me, come, help me. And so this isn't a message just for the church in Philippi. This is a message for Pathway. This is a message for us. The Spirit of God is working. The question is, are we tuned to Him? There are people saying, help us. The question is, are we even aware of it? Are we going in a whole other direction with our life when God is saying, I want you going in this direction? How can you know that you're going in the right direction? God's hand is on your life, and your life is preoccupied with people, and you're investing yourself in those people's lives for the sake of the glory of God and their eternal good. And you could do that in school while you're pursuing your degree. You could do that through your profession. You could do that at home with your children. You could do that here at the church. You could do that in your youth year. It doesn't matter where you are. The question is, do you see wherever you are the same way God sees your reason for being there? And so as we're wrapping it up here, I really want to pray, but I also want to encourage us, guys, as we leave this place, to seriously be taking stock of maybe I could, I could use some being a little bit more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I think uh, I've been u- using my days and my weeks too much for myself and not so much. I'm not too sure God has had control of my plans and my agenda. Just who am I reaching out to? Are there any Lydia's in my life that I'm pouring into? Are there any slave girls? Maybe there's someone struggling, gone through some horrible situations that have nothing to do with what my bringing is. Maybe I need to be lending my time and my assistance to them. Maybe there's like a Philippian jail, a, a blue-collar worker, just your, your average Joe, 
but they, 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 they want some relationship. They want community. They, they, they also need to grow in Christ. I want to pray that God would help every one of us know exactly who those are and that we leave this place prepared to see him use us in glorious ways because that's what the church is about. Amen? Father, we, we draw near to you at this point mindful, Lord God, that we, we may need a lot of work. And so we want to come and ask, forgive us for not being as sensitive as we ought to be to your leading, Holy Spirit. But we also thank you, God, that you're not leaving us, you're not forsaking us, you are present here, you are alive and well, and that your church and its future rests not on our shoulders, it rests on your shoulders. Jesus, you said, I will build my church. And so, God, as we are seeking to discern just how our involvement is supposed to look and how exactly we're supposed to be on mission, bringing your gospel to where it needs to be brought, Lord, would you teach us all how we can grow in this area? Begin with me. Begin with us. We pray. God, we thank you for the work you've already done in our midst. We thank you that this church started off in this way. What a glorious beginning. And that's what I'm praying, that what speaks to our origins as Pathway would be the very thing that spoke to the church in Philippi's origins. God, we want to be a people that reaches all kinds of people, not just our own kind. We want a church where when the world sets foot in this space, they don't say, oh, makes total sense. I already get this. I know what's going on here. Y'all ain't doing nothing. This could have been done with or without Jesus. No, I want a work that's done by you, by your spirit, that only you can get the glory for. I want to see you come alive in one heart after another. Unleash us, Lord God. Break barriers, Lord God. Help us to see all races, all ages, young or old. Help us to see all kinds of families, nuclear family or a family that's been torn apart. Help us to see all kinds of people, Lord God, teenagers, young adults, men, women, families, singles. Lord God, we want to have a heart for all kinds of people. And I pray, Lord God, that you would begin with us and that we would be able to witness and give you all the glory for it, I pray. I know you can do this. We know you will do this. And we thank you for this. We give you all the glory. It's in Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen.